Welcome to Fandom Media. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's time for Fandom Media to cover another show, and this time it is Black Sails. It's too bad we didn't start Fandom Media years ago, because if we had, Black Sails would surely have been covered by us since the start, and this wouldn't be our first episode where we're trying to make up seasons of lost time. I'd say this is a good, this started as a good show and became a great show over time. It has consistently gotten better over the years. It has, it has become more cinematic. The actors and writing have improved. I could go on and on. I agree. I first started watching this show kind of reluctantly. I tend to not get too excited about more action-y types of shows. And I was just kind of going along with Aziz, who likes <laughs> the, the, the... I was drawn in by Pirates. I, I right, was, I was like, I hope the, this is good. I'm watching it. <laughs> the mystique, I guess, of Pirates. The adventure of it all. The history of it. Um, and it was intriguing enough of a story and good enough of characters that... I continued watching it. I wasn't hyped up on it. I wasn't going out and telling everyone they should watch it, but it was it was interesting enough. I kept going along with it until the second season. Suddenly, in the second season is like, wow, this got really good. I, I detected <laughs> a, a shift in directing style, uh, and sure enough, with some research, they did have some... Not that directors in the first season were bad, but they definitely seemed to take on a new style starting in the second season. And the storyline thickened. There were some, I don't know, reveals of the characters and yeah. things. It was enough that halfway through the second season, Aziz and I stopped and went back and rewatched the first season, like with these new insights. And uh, <laughs> it's true. We looked at each other like, "Whoa, yeah. <laughs> we gotta watch this whole show again." Yeah, it was really. It's. I was really impressed. Really impressed with this show. Yeah, a lot of times you see success brings in larger budgets, and a lot of times the success makes them kind of worse because they start to milk that success at the expense of art or quality. And Black Sails has somehow has been somewhat immune to this. They've gotten larger budgets, but the quality has improved. And the fact that this is the final season makes it all kind of special and something to cherish. I feel like it's almost the opposite. I feel like instead of trying to make more mass appeal, which a lot of times shows once they kind of get a foothold, they try to expand to a more mass appeal, which sometimes is at the expense of their, I don't know, artistic integrity or, yeah. or willingness to take chances with characters or plot lines or whatever. But one of the things that held me back from being overly excited about this show in the first place is it seemed to have a formula of every episode needs to have, you know, some moment of gore and some more moment of sex. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of other really good shows also seem to have that formula. Like Game of Thrones has a lot of that. Sopranos had that, you know. But I feel like as this show has progressed, there's less and less of it. There's more and more of a focus on characters and dialogue and cinematic moments and less and less of this formula to make sure every episode has a sex scene or whatever. Yeah, there's hardly the sex scenes really there were probably more of them in the first season than the rest of the show put together. I would I think that might be I mean, I'd have to count, but <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, be surprised yeah. if that was the case. It's not like it's the only thing that happened in a first season or that it never happened again after, but there definitely seemed to be a shift. Right on. So, in case you can't tell, we're very excited to talk about the show. Let's get to some details. First of all, we'll start with our... Meta Elements. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks to announcer Jason in general for helping us out with the show, and thanks to Thomas Numpersong again for the intro music. Lots of people make fandom media possible, not just those of us whose voices you hear. Black Sails episodes don't have names, just Roman numerals, so we're kind of covering episodes 29, 30, and 31 here. When all is said and done, there will have been 38 episodes. Season 1 only had 8, and the rest had about 10. Normally, we like to cover lots of different writers and directors for each episode, but since we're playing catch-up with the show in general, we're not going to try to jam four seasons or three and a half seasons worth of all that into one spot here. So, 
throughout our coverage, we'll pepper in information about writers and directors and actors. Well, there's definitely a lot to talk about as far as that goes, but I'll just make a couple quick notes here. There are actually a couple of Game of Thrones directors that have been involved in Black Sails. The yeah. first episode was a Game of Thrones director, first episode of this first season, um, and he did another episode. And then one of the directors that I assume is part of the shift that I detected, he's gone on to do the most episodes of anyone. So that would be which one? Alex Sekarov. Yeah, I guess that's maybe not the right pronunciation. We're both kind of afraid to say the name. But he that's why I also, asked you to say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he is also another director from Game of Thrones and a bunch of other things. There's also one of the writers seems to be the driving force behind the whole show. Jonathan Steinberg oh. has directed, or I'm sorry, has Jonathan Steinberg has written at least 10 of the episodes, at least a quarter of the episodes. He's wow. written the first episode of every season. He's done all the episodes so far of this season mm. um and usually it's him and another person and there's several other writers uh who've done episodes with him there's a bunch that have done it on their own but anyway we can get more in that detail later right on a few of the key actors since he's now gone we'll get it we'll mention captain berenger his real name is chris larkin and despite having different names he is the older brother of toby stevens and that's captain flint so you know, after discovering that, I kind of looked at their faces and was like, you know, I can kind of see the resemblance. The, the red hair, you know, the yeah. all the other, a few other things that are kind of hard to say. You know, it's like a kind of, you can see the similarity without, it's sometimes hard to put that into words. I thought he looked like an overweight Kiefer Sutherland. That's what he reminded <laughs> okay, me of. Okay, yeah, that works. Not a new character, exactly, but I can't help but geek out over the fact that Woods Rogers is Luke Roberts, who played Sir Arthur Dane in Game of Thrones now. That's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then another one I wanted to point out was Israel Hands. He is David Wilmot. He was in Vikings, The Tudors, King Arthur, and Treasure Island, Treasure of all Island. things. How about that? Yeah, Treasure, actual Treasure Island. Of course, that's funny because the show itself is a partial prequel to Treasure Island in an unusual mix with real history and, of course, their own invented stuff. So there's like three main sources. Treasure Island, real history, and their own creativity, which is a very unusual mix in general. And a little bit, it seems to me, from some research I've done, that Treasure Island in and of itself seems to have some surrounding fictional history. There's characters that appeared in Treasure Island that also appeared in other works of fiction, like Peter Pan. And Captain Flint, for example, was in both. Right on. It's really made me want to go back and read Treasure Island. I read it as a kid. Same. I don't remember hardly anything about it except for some of these character names. Like what they did, what their role was in the story. I remember very little. But yeah, I'm going to have to go back and read that. Some examples of this mixture of sources here is, for example, Blackbeard. Blackbeard, you would think, <laughs> it sounds like a fictional yeah. character, but he was not. And while Eleanor Guthrie is kind of a more believable character, she's mostly fictional, although her family is real. There was a Scottish family called the Guthries who were in that area. They were a big player in the development of merchant uh situation merchant situation that's that's a funny thing to call it but they were they were big players in the markets around there which is spaghetti situation <laughs> <laughs> and of course we just mentioned israel hands and he is perhaps the most unusual combination of factors here because he's a real person he was actually blackbeard second in command for a while and he's also in treasure island <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he's the culmination. He's they've written him a new role because what he's does, doing in Black Sails is not exactly what he did in real life. 
but he did do real stuff in real life and he was in this fictional book so he's really just straddling all the things here he does seem to be getting propped up as a central character in this season also that's right that said he does not have a restaurant named after himself like long john silver not yet not, <laughs> not yet. yet not yet yeah maybe we'll be uh, eating at um israel hands's steakhouse one of these days cows don't even have hands <laughs> <laughs> i guess it would probably be a fish place really uh, Fish don't have hands either. <laughs> Long John Silver's wife in Treasure Island is of African descent. So that seems to be one of the little bits that's woven in nicely here that probably a lot of people wouldn't catch. I, I didn't remember that. I, had to, I noticed it when doing my research because, of course, I don't remember Treasure Island very well. So that's a very small detail. It also might be a clue as to things to come. Something we speculate a lot on is where the plot's going, who's going to survive. And knowing what happened in real life and what happened in Treasure Island will not necessarily happen in a show, but steers what we think is going to happen in the show. That's right. And so the, the, the fact that these characters are somewhat rooted in history and in well-known fiction gives us the ability to make some predictions about what's going to happen in the plot and maybe who's going to live and who's not. We're going to talk about that throughout this episode. Let's move on to the... Narrative. Since these episodes don't have names, they have numerals, we don't have a title for the first episode of this season, or the second or third, which is what we're covering today. If it did have a name, I think that first one would have some sort of word like revenge or some sort of synonym to that. As far as themes go, that's a very, it was a very thick, ubiquitous one for that first episode. So, a good place to start with that theme is the name of Blackbeard's ship, which is Queen Anne's Revenge. Uh, Rackham gives a speech to fire the troops up. You know, they have a little dialogue about, shouldn't we give a speech? And Black was like, yeah, go ahead, man, go ahead. Make your speech. <laughs> and he says, it's, he talks about how important it is. He talks about revenge for what happened to Charles Vane. And he talks about, and it's kind of like what he's inspiring the men with. You know, this theme of revenge and getting justice for Vane. And Governor Rogers recognizes this importance as well. He is hesitant to let Beringer send his men into direct combat with Blackbeard and his men because he worries about the same thing. He points out that their passion is dangerous. And then, but Beringer points out, hey, we have the same passion. We want revenge also. Our men just got slaughtered in the battle, so. Exactly, and then, and so Rogers is like, all right then, go ahead. And passion or no, the pirates win the ship-to-ship portion of the battle and inflame the soldiers' desire for revenge by sending back these bodies hanging from the masts and threatening a similar fate to the hostages because they captured about 60, 61 uh, of the soldiers and demanded for Eleanor Guthrie in trade. <laughs> now, it's become clear that Eleanor and Woods Rogers genuinely love each other. That's a, one of the few sort of positive <laughs> emotions that's going yeah. on. And Black Sails is very bleak as far as no one has joy, no one's happy. You know, it's all a bunch of... Like we said, the whole uh, this episode, the first one, is all a lot about just people trying to get revenge. It really goes farther than that. We just looked at a picture of uh, Toby Stevens, the actor that plays Flint, and he had a big grin on his face, and I realized I don't think I've ever seen him <laughs> smile at all in the looked, whole show, ever. <laughs> it looked really out of place, yeah, yeah seeing him smile. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's what a smile looks like from <laughs> Captain Flint. <laughs> I also did particularly like that scene uh, where... Rackham wanted to give the speech, and Blackbird was blowing him off, but Rackham kind of pushed, and he said, go ahead and do it. It was a good demonstration of the differences, both in their personalities and in different leadership styles. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it really is, and then in the, in the most recent episode, that kind of comes around, because 
Rackham points out that, you know, hey, I'm not up to his snuff in terms of combat and fighting. And he points out that he thinks Blackbeard is brilliant. He's like, he's a brilliant man. He's not just a giant who fights well. He's brilliant. But that brilliant man was only cared about getting Eleanor Guthrie, and I talked him out of it, even though there was pretty much no reason for him to give up on that plan. And part of that is because Blackbeard is dying. He's got the piece of shrapnel near his heart, and he can't have an heir. He can't have a male son, Mm -hmm. which was a big thing they brought him up with. He kind of saw Vane as that son, and Vane is dead. He has nothing to live for. This revenge is what he wanted to live for. It really was impressive that Rackham talked him out of it. And uh, he gives himself credit for that, but I have to agree that that was... A tough sell. Yeah, yeah. So as Woods Rogers is, is leaving in his ship, and the decision point comes for Teach whether to chase Rogers or whether to hold out for Guthrie, when he decides to actually make the, the long-term play to go for the governor, Rackham's face is full of relief because he doesn't know. And it's important that they showed that because it just illustrates how tough of a convincing job it was and how uncertain it was, even... During that, like he went in and made a speech and, and Blackbeard just responds by just kind of pontificating about how much he liked Vane. But mm-hmm. he kind of agreed because the point, one of the points was Vane wouldn't care about this. Like yeah. Vane yeah. is the least, is not sentimental. That's something that Anne Bonnie pointed out. I was going to say Rackham was convinced of that by Anne. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, you're right. That's really, it was really neat how, and, and like you said at the beginning, this is what this show is, is these these dialogues and these people's motivations. The, the action is just part of it. You know, it's it's not centered around that action. So that's, that's really great. The action is more meaningful when you've seen the buildup to it, when you understand why the characters have gotten themselves into these situations, which sometimes are very tough or frustrating. The, the moment when Billy and Flint, you know, turn on each other was so... Devastating, but also made so much sense. You kind of saw what was happening in the minds of these characters, even if they were, you know, wrong or misinformed or whatever it was. It wasn't just a random action scene. There was a lot to it, and it had, and it really gives you this heart sink feeling when it happens because you care about what and why things are happening. Definitely. Now, there's a lot more revenge scene here to get through. It doesn't stop with just Blackbeard and some of these other characters. For example, Anne thinks about Max. And this is one of the really, I thought this was a really poignant moment. She, their plan, of course, is Blackbeard knows that, that Woods Rogers isn't going to trade the hostages for Eleanor Guthrie. That's not going to happen. But he, they make it look like they are waiting on a response. And during that, they plan a night raid. Yeah. And to go get Guthrie instead. And Anne points out, what if I run into Max? You know, it's not going to stop with Guthrie. Like, I want to kill her. But... I'm going to feel horrible my whole life if I do kill her. Yeah, she you know? wants to and she doesn't want to. She she recognizes that if she's confronted with her, her emotions will take over and she'll do it. But she also recognizes it's not the smart thing to do. And so she'd rather not be put in that situation in the first place. Yeah, she knows what she will do and she knows that yeah. she shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She knows that it'll be hard for her to control herself. And on the other side, Guthrie herself and Rogers. Rogers reveals that he has these huge credit problems, which is revenge by his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Guthrie points out that, hey, that actually works out pretty well. My family is rich and wants respectability. Your family has respectability and no money, so we can actually help each other. And that's where the whole Philadelphia plan comes from. Now, you had a good meta-analysis of the Philadelphia trip, which seems to be playing out correctly. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? 
Yeah, I didn't think that it was going to play out just based on the fact that this is the last season. I didn't think they had enough time to go down that storyline. If you just think about, one is like the real life time, how long it takes to make that trip. It's going to take, I I feel like, weeks. Maybe only 10 days, but maybe three or four weeks to make this voyage to Philadelphia. And everything has to go just right. They've got to sail there with no storms, no mutinies, no pirate attacks. <laughs> they got to get to the shore and be recognized who they are. Someone has to be willing to tell them where her family is. Her family has to still be there. What if they're on vacation? And you know, there's so many, everything has to go just right. And then when she gets to the family, she's going to have to convince them. You know, she's going to like, hey, sorry, I haven't talked in so long. Can I have a bunch of money? You know, like... <laughs> Everything has to go just right. In real life terms, I feel like it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks for this to play out. And in the meantime, all this conflict is still brewing on the island. But in showtime, if you will, in in the pacing of the program, the number of episodes they have, I feel like it's got to be at least one episode to make the voyage and get there. And then at least one episode of her being there and convincing her family to give the money. And then at least an episode of coming back with the money and the money's not enough because they need to get troops. So they also have to find troops to hire with the money. Like, all this is going to suck up at least three episodes, leaving only four more episodes for all the other storylines. Everything else to finish, I just started to realize, I don't think it's going to happen. And it clearly you look it looks like you're right. At the end of episode three, it appears that Guthrie is now trapped in the fort with Max and a few soldiers, assuming that happened. And they're now facing Nassau, recaptured by the pirates, who really, really hate them. Guthrie's kind of lucky that Blackbeard's dead because the person that most wanted her dead is now also dead. Yeah. But there's still plenty of people that want her in a bad way. So she's in uh, trouble. She's facing other people's revenge, yes, <laughs> you could say. for sure. Now, another new character is Israel Hands, we mentioned a bit, and he also is facing revenge situation. He hates Teach. He really hates Blackbeard. And in fact, that's what expert manipulator talker John Silver hones in on. He's like, yeah, Teach. I hate that guy too. Yeah, he screwed up this attack. It's all his fault. And then all of a sudden, just like he's done several times, Hans is his ally. (laughs) Yeah, he's so good at telling people what they want to hear. Yeah, He's so good at identifying people's emotions, or motivations rather, what's driving them finding a way to steer his in line with theirs. Yes. And to show that, hey, we have a lot. Yeah, he's, that's really well put. I, I don't need to add to what you said. That was perfectly said. And it's also, it also play, it's also, I think it's funny that his name is Long John Silver. He has like a silver tongue. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I love the, I love the line uh, when Israel says, it was like, before you was Long you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> like before you had the nickname long john silver yeah <laughs> and i love how silver figures out what's happened to his reputation he's like they've made me into this like badass like terrifying figure mm-hmm. and he realizes hey i can use this yeah. he's like yeah. i am well equipped to make use of this <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what else happens with that. And he's a character that, you know, he's Long John Silver. He's probably not going to die. So, uh, you know, he feels safe. You know, this is a thought that I've had several times. Um, Maybe even a theme of the show is the value of reputation. Mm. So many times characters take actions that they don't necessarily even think is good or correct. But they know they need to because of how it will be perceived. Um, And how many times people don't take an action that they should have and it gets perceived the wrong way because of it or whatever. It's a, It seems to be important to a lot of these characters to have themselves be presented as the one in charge 
or as formidable, the intimidation factor of some of these characters, or even the honorable, uh, the honor of the characters sometimes is important. Many characters sometimes don't do the thing that they want to do because they need to maintain some level of righteousness. I agree, and I would say that this particularly plays out with Captain Berenger, who also has a deep desire for revenge, so deep that he has basically admitted that he's a criminal because he refused to follow the government's orders. He wanted to stay and kill the pirates rather than return to London like he was ordered. Yep. And that just goes to show how deeply he cares, yet he still they still tried to humanize him a little bit with his locket and his looking at his wife and child, presumably. that's I presume that's who they were. And there is... Also, the long-running callback to Flint's revenge, like this whole thing. Flint has been about revenge since the beginning, and it's just that we didn't know the whole reason he was in this. The whole the story, the revenge story, why he's doing what he's doing, was of course a big part of the first two seasons. Yeah, and then he finds that shard of porcelain, the cup that's that's that was Elizabeth Barlow's, and that reminds. It's kind of a reminder of what he's in this for and that, you know, let's not forget about her and all yeah. that stuff because there's so much else going on. Yeah, he was, he and his storyline were so central for the first couple seasons and they've so further developed so many other characters that that was a good moment to remind us of him and his plight. It was also interesting that from the get-go, it was clear that Flint wasn't just motivated by money. He didn't just want this gold. He had this bigger mission, which seemed to be some sort of independence of Nassau. But then we learn it's even deeper than that. He doesn't care quite so much as about the independence of Nassau. That, that drive in him was given to him by his friend who was betrayed and killed by England. So now he just, his desire to make Nassau independent is part of a revenge. Definitely. Now another, and related to Flint, someone, he and his seasons of doing his thing working for revenge and and stepping on toes putting mm -hmm. it lightly has caused quite a lot of conflict with billy billy has kind of a desire for revenge on flint in a sense you could say maybe yeah. that's not the most accurate way to put it but i think it's close enough and it's kind of tragic that basically there there's so much resentment on billy's part that when it really comes down to it he just can't seem to accept Flint's leadership anymore. He's just like, no, I'm tired of following you. I would rather fight you than our common enemy who's right over there coming yeah. for us right now. And it was just, we both were like, I mean, we watched together, we we're like, oh no, yeah. this is terrible. And then that another revenge theme comes out of this. They're trying to free the slaves and the slave owners have this like geniusly cruel plan that's based around retribution. Say, if you take these, free these slaves. We're killing all of their relatives. Yeah, like, that was oh. really a disgusting realization, yeah. Yeah, it was really well done. I mean, it was a really, like, I hate it, but it was clever. You gotta admit, it was a pretty yeah. clever way to handle the situation. And Flint was right. Like, look, we can't, like, we're gonna alienate our main ally. If Like, it's, yeah. as bad as Flint has made a lot of questionable leadership decisions, but he was 100% right about this one. And Billy just pick the wrong hill to die on he didn't die but you know yeah and billy did come around eventually yeah uh, and it's also worth noting by the way they wouldn't have just alienated those allies they would have created new enemies yes you're right so it was a really bad move my billy i was it was 
probably the biggest mistake he's made, and we'll have to see what happens going forward because he's another Treasure Island character, so I don't. I think he has to survive. He does seem to have plot armor based, <laughs> based on that. I will point out, too, that as much as he has a right to be motivated by revenge and probably is motivated by revenge, he's not purely motivated by revenge. He does... You're right. He did have a chance to shame Flint further. But he went along. He went along. He didn't accuse Flint of having killed him, having pushed him overboard. And uh, is that season one? Yeah. Season one. Right toward the end, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It wasn't... Billy's motivation is not revenge. It's just his interactions with Flint are very tinged with resentment. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard for him to not think about their past interactions when he's dealing with the current times. And that led to this pretty serious mistake. But But he, much like Silver, recognizes Flint's value, both his determination, his insight, his reputation. His, his cool head in the fight. Like, he was yeah. given field command. He was like, I'm in charge, but you're the field commander. He basically let, get, he, he was fine with Flint being the, like, yeah, the guy on the, he was in charge of the raid. Yeah. You know? And then when they started talking about what to do next, that's when it fell the apart. The conflict came, right. <laughs> Fandomedia.reviews. There were so many, so many different characters are operating on revenge uh, or on revenge themes that we didn't possibly name them all. I'm sure there's there's several that we missed out yeah. on. There's minor characters. It's just really all over the place, and that's part of why the show is, is a bit bleak. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Just why there's you know like a bunch of people out for revenge. There's not a lot of room for happiness and joy and yeah. celebration in that. <laughs> that makes for good drama and yes. good action. Absolutely. Now all these these themes of revenge seem to set up. A series of what I would guess, I guess we could call a, a seam of traps. There's a lot of traps. Yeah. Uh, there was the trap for the ships, the buried sloops, which was the news of that was prevented from reaching Flint because of the actions of Max, despite her own subordinates trying to pass that information yeah. on. And there was a trap of civilization. That was Rogers points to. He's saying, look, we're trying to civilize these people. We have to feed these hundred prisoners Whereas they would have just executed them. It's, yeah. He's just talking about how expensive it is. And he's like, of course, this is tinged by the fact that he's in huge debt. Yes, <laughs> so it's not yes. just the fact that he's lamenting that they're the good guys and how expensive it is to the good guys. It's also that price has far more to do with his, his own outlook. It has been a, there have been a couple interesting reveals of Rogers. That confrontation he had with Max at first seemed kind of out of character. Like, how, why is he being a jerk all of a sudden here? But then you find out, oh, he just doesn't have the money. He needs Max to foot the bill for this because he can't do it. And then later on, we see that he has this dark side. You know, like, yes. uh, Beringer is telling him, like, well, they're not necessarily good men. They've done some bad things. They might be good at some point in the future. But right now, these are bad men you're in charge of. And part of that is the revenge theme, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and and you, you think this is Beringer warning Rogers about the dark stuff you gotta like, do. You're not gonna like, be t- are you tough enough? Let me tell you a story. <laughs> Let me tell you about dark, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that Rogers has plenty of capacity for darkness and Beringer is the one that had trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, you know, Beringer certainly willing to go as far as he thought was needed. He wasn't like stinting on, oh, that's too cruel. But he, yeah. he was the opposite. He was too unwilling to see nuance and, and not listen to other people's ideas. Where Rogers, there's a time to act in a certain manner. There's a time to act in another manner, even if you don't like it for the bigger picture. Beringer wasn't able to act in an appropriate manner, manner once he was in charge. Yes. He was too driven by his ego or 
concern about reputation and or revenge, yeah, yeah, and, and authority. Basically, any he saw advice as challenged advice that countered his own advice as challenged was authority. Whereas yeah. Rogers was like, okay, I'll take everything into consideration, and make good decisions. You know, it's he's almost like, <laughs> like Barry was able like, to convince him of things, but like <laughs> it's almost like Eleanor. What Eleanor needed to do was use reverse psychology. She's like, well, I got this note from Max about their their way into the city, but you don't want to use that. You shouldn't look at this note and, and set a trap for them at all. Don't do that, you know. I feel like if she had done that, he would have, give me that note. Let's go set a trap. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. You're right. Reverse psychology might have worked a lot better. <laughs> That's really funny. So there were far more traps than just the ones we've listed. And a lot of these relate directly to the revenge. Again, Woods Rogers is in a money trap. <laughs> this yeah. kind of made by, by his ex-wife in a, in, in a sense the slave trap where you know if you if they do anything their loved ones will get punished the trap that silver was placed in by israel hand saying you're going to write this you're going to admit to killing this guy and i'm going to get my ransom and then the trap for silver and hands that max put them in that they escaped from by hands being a total badass and then max kind of trapping herself with her own mercy now in my opinion this is a whole there's a lot we could say about this she, her plan didn't go far enough. If she was going to betray Silver, she needed to kill him because he's too dangerous of an enemy. And the other flaw in her plan, which I didn't realize right away, was then Berenger finds out about it and is like, yeah. what are you doing? What are yeah. you doing behind my back? Because Rogers kind of understood. Rogers kind of understood the value of her having contact with the underground. But Berenger <laughs> was like, give me, yeah. the, give me the names, give me the names. Just yells yeah. at her like, It reminded on, me man. of the Batman scene. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And then Rogers, of course, setting a trap for Black uh, for Blackbeard and Rackham with his men under the ship and pretending to be weak and then, you know, emerging. Yeah, I thought a lot about that scene. I think it was, even though it was tough to watch in a lot of ways, it was gruesome and frustrating, but it was really interesting, and especially watching it a second time, kind of piecing together why the different people were taking the actions that they did. Like, one thought I had is like, why don't just blow them out of the water? Why are they even trying to board the ship? I'm like, well, they want to capture Rogers. They they don't even know 100% if he's in on the ship, so they need to board the ship. Also, once the skirmish on board, once they seemed to be sort of overwhelmed, there were just more troops on the ship that they expected and lost a battle they thought they had won, which again was kind of frustrating and disappointing <laughs> to watch. I, real quick, I want to point out another thing I appreciate about the show in general is a lot of times... You're rooting for people on opposite sides of each other. I'm not sure who I want to win in a lot of situations. It's also interesting that, for the most part, all these characters are terrible people. They're all <laughs> have, are responsible for the deaths of many people. And even if some of them maybe could be justified as not being straight-up murder, maybe some bigger goal in mind, their ambitions lead to death and destruction. There's no two ways about almost every central character in the show has had a disregard for the lives of others. Hmm. And yet we still want to root for them. We're still engaged enough in their plights uh, that you don't want them to die or lose even, you know. But at that moment when Blackbeard is captured, I thought it was really interesting the decision Jack has to make with this woman he loves and this man he admires or on this other ship. And it would have been an interesting stalemate if it had played out. They've, they've sort of lost, right? But Jack still has the better ship with better guns. They can still just blow him out of the water. He can still de he's definitely sees that's Rogers. I can kill Rogers. And all these other people that I care about also have to Problem die. Problem is mostly Anne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on the flip side, what is Rogers going to do now that he's got Blackbeard? He still can't 
beat the other ship. So it seemed like a mistake to me for Jack to surrender like that. But I, I feel like he must have on some level had hope of finding some compromise or negotiation. I think he wasn't assuming that they would all just be killed. Oh, I agree. Rogers not immediately. They might all get tried, but we just saw Rogers describe how he's going to give all these men a trial. He's going to feed them in the meantime. You know, his percent, like you said, his reputation, we talk about reputations being important. Reputation uh, for Rogers was that he was a man of the law. So you could see that maybe he could expect some clemency. He certainly was not expecting to see Blackbeard keelhauled and to be lined up to be next. Yeah, that was yeah. very, like, I don't know that it even entered his mind when he surrendered. Of course, I think, like you said, there, it was mostly about people he cared about there. Uh, which is, by the way, one of the reasons we sympathize with these characters, even though they're bad people, is because they do have these very human motives. They care about their loved ones. Yeah. They still take care of the people close to them, even though they're kind of scumbags to, to not even kind of. They're horrible <laughs> to people they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> people they don't know personally. And horrible to some of the people they do know personally. But they also have... You know, they, they pontificate on interesting things. They say uh, they have moments of that we can bond with. They say positive things sometimes. And, you know, and they're all, you know, good actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to what might have been a mistake by Jack in this moment. I'm going to say trying to do the right thing for people he cares about. And other times when someone might do something that they would want to do otherwise. Like, we saw Rogers has the potential to do to enact a terrible form of revenge, right? But we don't necessarily see a motivation for it here, that that cowardly shot that killed his brother. Yeah, there was no his brother wasn't killed. Eleanor is still alive, you know. Yeah. Now he maybe has a bigger picture motivation for it, a motivation to take them back and have them hung, you know. Yes. Um but uh getting sidetracked on trying to point out Max might have made the mistake of not killing Silver because she also, like Rogers, is trying to find civilization. She's she doesn't want to just murder him on the streets. She wants to have a trial or right. acknowledge the value he's given to her in the past and ex- exile him she rather wants than to be kill him. But right. to, to my point, I was saying that it's not time for that yet. She's not there. She's getting ahead of herself. She wants that, right. but they're not there yet. And, right. <laughs> just like Rogers was able to shift gears. For, yeah. I, I guess, you know, again, this is lots of challenges to the nature of morality, but if it is correct to in times of chaos or strife or danger to kill people who maybe don't deserve it, then this is a time when Max should have done it. But maybe even in those moments, you still shouldn't kill people. And maybe in those moments, you just end up getting killed yourself, which Max might, you know, so... (laughs) Yeah, Max is someone I'm worried about. I don't know. She's not... She's one of the invented characters for the show. She's not a historical figure, as far as I know. And I don't think she was in Treasure Island either. So I think, uh, yeah, she's um, one of the ones that's in that limbo zone that uh, it's hard to predict what will happen to her because there's no other perspective for it. The final trap I want to mention is Beringer himself set a trap for the pirates that he should have set the trap Guthrie suggested. Although his trap almost worked anyway, though I still think it was a bad idea because bottom line was the plan he had, though it probably was going to result in a win. He would have lost too many of his own soldiers, and that's a problem that would create a new problem. Like he ha- he already was hamstrung by lack of men. He already had to yeah. keep men from going with Guthrie because he needed every available body. And then he just sent a lot of them. He put them in a situation where a lot of them were going to die. Yeah. Including putting himself in a situation where he could die. And if he dies, then who? Then who's in charge? Yeah. To, now, I, I do want to try to give him some credit for being brave, yeah. even if maybe he's making mistakes. And also, the sort of gamble that he's making. He might lose some men in this. Obviously, it turns out terrible, yeah. <laughs> right? It turns out terrible. But it, if Billy hadn't shown up, 
he might have come out ahead there. Yeah, he might and have he, just lost a lot of men, but still yeah. won. Yeah. And I feel like he would have totally dominated if he had done what Eleanor had said. Yes. Um, but Although there still would have been the problem of Billy showing up, and that was kind of a wild card in any case. I suppose Billy might have shown up even if Silver doesn't. Right. Yeah. And in, they and wouldn't in, have necessarily known that Silver had been captured. And in any of these cases, he probably loses men, which he's very short on in the first place. However, he might gain reputation. The moment when he drops his guns in the street, says, hey, who wants to fight me? Come on right now. And no one wants to do it. Now, he does say, if not now, when? Well, when is when Silver shows up. But if he could have stopped Silver from showing up, or even if Silver shows up and he loses a bunch of men but defeats Silver, now everyone goes back to being afraid of him. Mm. And that might make up for lost men. It might not last for long because you can only rule with fear for so long. But just like Guthrie said, yep, yep. You can but, only, like eventually they're going to break. You can only yeah. make some, once they're scared enough. Like you can't be more scared. Yeah, <laughs> but he still has this light at the end of the tunnel. Rogers and Coming back. Eleanor are going to come back with more men. So it, it's interesting. I, I think his character was very interesting. In fact, there was another moment of the show that I really liked uh, when he in the first episode when they had captured some of the. Pro- Wait, was that the second? Was it the beginning of the second episode? They had the quartermaster. They had Flint's quartermaster. Second episode. Second episode. episode. And one, from like a filmmaking perspective, I appreciated after he struck him in the head with the butt of his gun, the the camera angle was like coming up, blurry with the sun. You know, you're kind of seeing things through the eyes of that quartermaster as Berenger is interrogating him and then ends up cutting his ear off. And you see in that moment, one thing that Berenger is doing there is he's demonstrating to the group Rogers and oh, everyone Rogers, yeah, sorry. that these pirates are loyal. This these aren't just random guys that they captured. These men are part of this movement and they're loyal to Flint and I'm gonna cut his ear off and he's still not gonna talk. And we can cut all these guys' ear off. We don't need to because we know it's not gonna work. This he says it's not that kind of war. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it shows the the insight that Beringer has into what they're up against here. I agree. And I think that's really interesting. That's that's what makes Berenger interesting, despite the fact that he made so many mistakes. It was done really well because of that very, I'll just call it cinematic, interspersal of his conversation with Rogers that, was, that ha- clearly had taken place before Rogers left. And he makes this really poignant line of when the moment comes, your true self will emerge. And I think that was the theme of, of the third episode. The first episode, I felt like the theme was revenge. The second episode was sort of these traps that people set for each other mm-hmm. and how all that played out. And this third episode is that that theme of your true self will emerge. Woods Rogers' true self emerges. Ultimately, he fights himself a bit and comes back and from the brink of bloodlust, essentially, or like bloody revenge. Uh, Barringer's true self emerges. He, he's, he, he kind of outs himself as really a bully a bit. He doesn't listen to anyone else and he becomes emotionally invested in his own decisions rather than doing the right thing or the most strategically act correct thing. And that's his true self. And then we have Rackham's true self. In the moment of of uh, decision, he sides with his loved one. You know, mm-hmm. that's he could have, like you said, he could have easily gotten away. Yeah, could have gone on to fight another day easily. But he surrendered. I mean, that's why the crew kind of looked at him side. Like, what? Why did you surrender? Yeah, you know. And also the same thing for some several other characters. You could say Billy's true self emerged there when he came. After all, to help save the day, he. That's a great point. Realize his conflict with Flint was more temporary, that the bigger picture was more important, you know. And back to the other point about how we mentioned earlier that that Rogers didn't take good men with him. They may have been good men at one point, but, you know, circumstances and life, this the horror horror of this this area has changed them. And their true selves 
maybe will emerge throughout this. And maybe when it's all done, maybe they'll go back to being decent people. But it just goes to show that very philosophical statement, I suppose, to say is that we're all products of our environment, you know. Yeah, and yeah. if you were born in 18th century Caribbean, you know, if you were living in 1750 Nassau, who's to say you wouldn't have, you know, fallen in with some pirate crew, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's what you were born into. You know, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? I wonder if a pending theme might be redemption. Mm. I wonder if that'll be a thing that we see. That's I feel great, like there yes. are at least hints of it in this past episode already. But Yeah, I mean, there's certain characters are trying to, like certain characters like Max, are trying to kind of go straight. I mean, she's still dealing with the underworld. She's still doing dirty things, but she does seem to genuinely want to work towards stability and yeah. to not have to do these things anymore. And decided to not go get revenge. Yes. Uh, and it seemed as though Teach was sacrificing himself to save, I, I don't know how much of it was in his mind how aware of it he was but if he's the genius that Rackham believes him to be he needs to be tough there to save other people from being punished it, yeah it certainly if your results are in he saved Rackham's life he did that's his that was his true self ultimately yeah. unbendable like he did not break yeah. he was he had to shoot him in the head because he yeah. just wouldn't <laughs> he would not suffer he didn't cry out he didn't act like he was in pain. He didn't he, roll over. Yeah, he, he just kept trying to stand back up. Yeah, yeah. he was like, "Okay, you're gonna kill me. I get it, but you will not break me. I will not yeah. be. My spirit will not be broken." And that was his true self. So I thought it was really cool. Good way to go out. I'd pick a different. one. Yeah, that looks horribly painful. <laughs> Good lord! It's interesting because we saw. I saw for the first time. You and I saw together for the first time a keel hauling on TV which was in the show Vikings. I won't be specific because that would be spoiler, but let's say that someone on Vikings got keelhauled. But it was on a Viking longship. Those are small. Yeah, I've also seen <laughs> Compared it... Compared to this, which was like, oh my God. I've also seen it in a, in a movie, Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the original, I think, 1939 version. But it wasn't, obviously, it was black and white. It wasn't, you know, they didn't have that kind of violence or whatever. And in my mind, keelhauling basically meant drowning we're just gonna drown you that's what it meant it never occurred to me how you would just be torn to shreds by the barnacles up against the wood yeah, barnacles. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah it's really horrible and they gave you the underwater shot and everything to see yeah, it was yeah. like you seemed to get dragged along it was yeah they didn't uh, they didn't stint that was a long scene yeah yeah <laughs> and and i appreciate that in fact it's a it wasn't too gratuitous like it wasn't like they didn't make it all about the gore you know yeah, or, or yeah. they didn't overdo they could that. have made it more gory for sure but really what they were doing was trying to create a couple things. One, it's it's actually a filmmaking technique to leave, I don't know how to say this, dead moments, silent moments, extended moments. It gives the audience time to consider what's happening, to think about what you would do, to think about what the characters are thinking. To You, you start to turn into your own thoughts in these moments like that. And, and that's what the scene did is I can easily imagine someone... I don't know, being bored with it or being, you know, uh, grossed out by it or whatever. But for me, I feel like they were making an active directorial decision to draw this scene out to get us to feel the reactions of the crew, to get us to think about the sacrifice that teachers making, so on and so on. I, I, as tough as the scene was, and as much as I can understand someone not liking it, I really loved it. I thought it was a really well-designed scene. Yeah, I thought it was great. You got a lot of different, there was a lot of opportunity for facial acting by a lot of different people. Because yeah. like every single member of the pirate crew and every single member of the, of the British crew had, vis like they were looking around, they were questioning what was going on, they were a little nervous, yeah. they were a little disgusted. And how the tone changed throughout the course of it, too. This moment of victory for Rogers started to almost be a moment of failure. <laughs> like He's like, ah, I need to just end this real quick. And <laughs> let's just go back. Let's go back. Forget this. You and know? you wonder if he was thinking about his brother. 
initially. Yeah. It was fueling his rage. And then it kind of, as things played out, he started to see people's faces and notice that pretty much no one was relishing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he backed down. There's more to it than that. I think it's going to work out for him well that he didn't go too far. Now, Blackbeard's death is, narratively, it's very interesting. Not only like you said, this, the, the way it was done was really good, but also what it means for the plot. With Guthrie being trapped in the fort now, it sets up an interesting situation. I'm guessing that there's going to be some sort of swap. Like, first of all, it's really neat that things went the exact opposite of the way they were going. It looked like Berenger was, had a kind of had a handle on things in Nassau, and that Blackbeard kind of had a handle on things with Woods Rogers. Yeah. And both situations went total reverse. Yeah. Which is really interesting. As an aside, that is similar in some ways to how the real Blackbeard died. He was killed by Robert Maynard, not Woods Rogers, but it was a somewhat similar circumstance in that Maynard made it look like he was undermanned. It hit a lot of men below decks, and then it kind of tricked Blackbeard into boarding him and then burst out, you know, with a bunch of dudes. And uh, they even kind of showed a bit like what happened and supposedly how it happened in the battle. He was killed in the fight. He wasn't captured and then executed after torture or whatever. Yeah. But he, there was someone that jumped on him from behind that helped Maynard get in the fatal blow. And that almost happened in the battle. Like someone knocked yeah. the sword out of his hand as he was about to hit Rogers and Blackbeard then grabs his dagger and stabs that guy. So yeah. it was a little bit changed it a little bit. Pulled out a second sword or maybe yeah. that was just a dagger or a short sword. I think it was yeah. a short sword. Either it was a dagger or a short sword. For him it might have been a knife, but for someone else yeah, it yeah. a short sword. <laughs> but that's another thing that's historically accurate about Blackbeard is he, that was, he was huge. Ar- he was huge and he was armed to the teeth. He did yeah. carry that brace of pistols. That was yeah. the thing and he did probably carry multiple other weapons. And that use of smoke and battle too uh, yes. he did that yeah. he lit wicks on, on his, beard his beard and under his hat or something yeah. to make him look like he was some sort of devil he was like six foot six or which, something which again adds to his reputation yes of being this scary menace that he, a lot of times another ship just won't even challenge you and in fact that's another thing too i meant to talk about his reputations earlier uh which was interesting in one of the earlier seasons when that one pirate captures another ship and just kills everyone like the the oftentimes because of the threat other ships will just surrender just Take our goods and don't kill us all. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you, but if you fight back, we're going to kill you all. So It's the same as ancient warfare in terms of cities. If you surrender your yeah. city, we give you quarter. If you don't, we burn the city and sell everyone into slavery. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really tough decision. Yeah. <laughs> and if the pirates don't believe that if they surrender, they'll be spared, well, they're not going to surrender. And so even if you win, you're still going to lose a bunch of men in the process. Yeah. And so what's it? The Vikings. That was a similar concept with the Vikings, too. Several times... There would be a battle, and they both would realize we're just, even if someone wins here, we're going to lose a bunch of men. We'd rather both keep all our men and go fight someone else, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. They're very smart about that. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> now, another thing that was taken from history is if you, it was a, kind of a subtle thing, but as Blackbeard was shot a moment later, someone starts to cut his head off. And that also, that mm-hmm. did happen in real life. Apparently, Blackbeard's head was hung outside, I think, the... Uh, it was hung in front of a river in North Carolina. I forget the name. But uh, that, apparently, they're going to maybe show his head to the pirates. They're going to come back, sail back into Nassau with Blackbeard's head on a, you yeah, know, on the yeah. mast. Kind of like Shippie sent with all those hanged people on it. So what I foresee is some sort of trade. I started talking about this earlier and got on a tangent. I, I foresee some sort of trade. Because we talked earlier about the fact that Rogers and Guthrie really have fallen in love. They seem to genuinely have a real relationship that isn't just built on, you know, helping each other out with politics and money. They seem to genuinely love each other. So I do foresee Rogers trading maybe Rackham and Bonnie and the other captured pirates for the freedom of Guthrie and, and Max, because she's with 
Guthrie and the yeah. fort now. Eleanor will fight. Eleanor, I can imagine Eleanor refusing to go without Max. I can imagine that. Yeah, that part of the deal. Yeah, and that might help Max and Guthrie get like kind of patch things up a little because they had, you know, they've been working together a little bit. And Guthrie challenged her. He's like, why didn't you go follow the law? He's like, she's like, are you kidding me? Look what happened when we followed the law last time. He hung Charles Vane and everyone blew up. You know, that's why we have this insurgency. She really is sort of in between the two sides. She sees the mistakes that the pirates are making and the mistakes that the law is making. Yeah, she is the ultimate player of both sides, but she's not just doing it for gain. She also knows the right thing. She's very insightful as to what works. She's really good at reading the crowd. She's really good at reading the mood of the city. At predicting what the results of different actions are going to be. Yeah, she's a great character. And somewhat selfless, too. Honestly, a lot of times she's sacrificed herself for some other person or some greater good. I agree. She has all kinds of reasons for revenge that she hasn't particularly re- pursued. No, I, that might be partly because she kind of came from nothing. You know, we, we don't really understand her full background, but she started the show as a brothel worker. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. who just worked her way up. And that's hard to do. So that she's clearly talented. Uh, but I do worry about her. <laughs> I yeah, don't, because, yeah. Like I said before, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to make it. I hope she does. I think she's the character who has killed the least people. <laughs> the central character. She's responsible <laughs> for the least number of deaths. <laughs> Fandomedia.reviews. As we talked about a few different times with this episode, there's a lot of real life history spur, uh, interspersed in this show, mixed in with Treasure Island and their own inventions. One of the one of the references that they kind of snuck in. This uh, during these this season so far, and it's come up before, but it's it was sneakily added, I think, in in the second episode was Woods Rogers looking at his own book. Yeah, the yeah. real Woods Rogers wrote a book about circumnavigating the globe, which was not just a treatise on things that he discovered in the Pacific, but also it was meant to be a resource for other people who were going to make that voyage. He talked about how hey, if we'd had a if there had been a British colony out there, we wouldn't have had so much trouble getting food and supplies. Like, it would have, you know, he talked about all these different things he probably ran into. Incidentally, that's where his brother died in real life. Some battle in the Pacific. And I don't know, I don't think it was against the Spanish, though it might have been. He also co-authored perhaps the most important literary source on Caribbean piracy of all time, which is a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates, written by a man called Captain Charles Johnson, which is widely believed to be a pseudonym. So the real author is kind of unknown. But Woods Rogers apparently co-authored this book, Hmm. or was at least consulted on it by this mysterious Captain Charles Johnson. So that's really neat. I think there's probably quite a few other references interspersed throughout the show. Certainly some that we, we, you know, we weren't podcasting. Season one, there's probably some cool stuff there. Season two, season three. So good opportunity for you, lovely listeners, to interact with us. Send us any references from real life or Treasure Island or something else, anything, anything that's a reference to something else that you caught in Black Sales, send it to us on our website at fandommedia.reviews, and maybe we'll mention your name. We, we, we'd love to hear these references anyway. I love that stuff. I refuse to mention any names. <laughs> <laughs> Audio elements. So as rich as this time period is, and as rich as these characters are, and as many plot lines that there are interweaving, there's still other aspects that make a show good. One example is audio elements. You know, that's a, they, they give out Academy Awards and Emmys, you know, for this. And even doing these podcastings, I've started to realize some of the effort that goes into that, that type of thing. And I think it was either the last episode or the episode before, something that they do that I assume they've just been doing all along, but I just didn't actively notice it till just recently, is there's this sort of background noise that's always appropriate to each scene, which I'm sure at least subconsciously adds to 
the appreciation, the, the realism, the tone, whatever. But for example, at night on the island, there's just in the background the sounds of crickets and bugs and frogs, you know. And when they're on a ship, there's the creaking of wood and ropes. And through the city, even when they're in a room, in a building, there's still a background commotion of conversation and horses. And I think it's something that I appreciate because I know someone has to decide to do that. It's effort has to be put into that that makes it better. That's a great example of something in the background that, that you notice kind of subconsciously, or maybe you sort of dawns on you like it did with you. Like, hey, have they been doing this the whole time? That's really good. On the other side of things is, say, what they did with episode one of this season with Silver being underwater, where they make the audio elements really prominent. Where yeah. they have his his breathing and his heartbeat, which I thought was important to do there because intellectually there's no tension there. John Silver's not going to drown because he is alive in Treasure Island. You know, there's a lot of reasons why he's not going to drown. But they made up for that by creating subconscious tension with human sounds. Like, again, the heartbeat and the breathing. It's hard not to feel that tension, even though you can kind of intellectually realize that this is not going to amount to... You know, this is going to be a plot point, not like a major shift in the character arc or something like that. This guy's not dying, you know. Yeah, I did. it did really put me on the edge of the seat as the heartbeat got faster and faster as it went. I tried even uh, the second time around. I often do this when, for one reason or another in a movie, especially action movies, which I kind of have a chip on my shoulder in the first place. Whenever someone's <laughs> underwater, I try to hold my breath for as long as they're doing it. And a lot of times it's just completely unrealistic. Because I'm also like sitting in a chair, right? But they're like <laughs> swimming or running and coming out of exertion in the first place. And I, I often am like kind of taken out of the reality of the scene by having people be underwater for too long. But this one, rather than be taken out of the reality, it was... I extra appreciated it, it the was, way that heartbeat got stronger immersive. and stronger. Uh, <laughs> See what you did there. Uh, you know, by the way, this is a little out of place to talk about with audio elements, but I wanted to point out another thing that they do pretty consistently with the show is play around with the timelines. Flashback isn't quite the right word, but oftentimes they'll intersperse moments from the past with what's currently going on. Yeah. And uh, including that episode, it started off with... John under the water there, and in that opening scene, you don't even realize that's who it is. Or maybe a keen observer might have seen that it was his his fake leg caught in there. I did not realize that though. You and know? then in this third episode, they have Beringer and Woods Rogers' his conversation interspersed throughout the episode. Yeah. It bears mention, since this is our first time covering Black Sails, even though I would have said this a long time ago if we could have, but the theme song is great. Oh, yeah. In fact, it won an award. It won an award, an Emmy for Best Opening Sequence. That's no. the award they give out. It really sounds it. like a piratey. It does have that yeah. feel to it. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, another bit of trivia, the the instrument that, I don't know quite how to design it, some sort of string, violin, maybe even a bagpipe. I, I don't know quite how to describe what that sound is, but I do now know what that instrument is. It's a... Uh, a wheel, it's like a crank-operated stringed instrument. Oh. They, they actually, it's from that time period, and they actually use it for that song. It's, uh, oh. yeah. Hey, I'm the music student here. I'm supposed to, <laughs> I'm supposed to come up with that stuff. <laughs> One more thing, again, I wish I mentioned this earlier because it's not quite an audio element, but something I kind of look for, especially when I realize filmmakers, showmakers are putting a lot of effort into a show because I start to suspect that everything in there is for a reason, by design, someone decided... It didn't pan out, but the first two episodes this season both start off with Long John Silver. <laughs> but then the third one didn't. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah, the third one started with Rogers and Berenger. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
visual elements. Along with the interesting way they did the audio of Silver Underwater was just the way they filmed it too. The visuals there were really neat. The underwater visuals, that and several other thoughts. Just the, the upshot of looking at the hulls beneath. That was really cool with the things coming down. It reminded me a little bit of the Vikings intro. Though yeah. that yeah. was more, that's more stylized. This was more gritty and because that's the intro to a show. This is, you know, a scene in the show itself, mm -hmm. which is a little different. Well, it's a lot different really, but... It, 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 it was an expansion on that whole idea of, of things coming down in the water and looking... It's just, I just think it's, it's hard to describe why I love it, but it's just really visually cool. They've done it a few other times, too. I, yeah. One of the reasons I like Black Sails is they've done a lot of creative scenes uh, as far as the, the angle the camera is coming at, the, the timing, the editing, the music attached to it, but they definitely are not just having two people stand in a room with one camera pointed at each person's face going back and forth. They yeah. definitely go through lots of different techniques and styles. And I uh, love the back and forth of the over water, below water. They did a lot of like where you're just above the water line, they're just below the water line. You see their ship scuttled to make the trap. Yeah. That was great. Like, wow. And what, and what a great way to start the season too. It was exciting right away. But it yeah. wasn't like cheesy action. It was like, whoa, this is different. You got these ships that are about to wreck on these other ships. And yeah, it was I loved it. That's another value to jumping around in time also, by the way, is you get to start off right away with an action scene, you know, immediately engage the audience and then cut to drama that set that up, mm -hmm. you know. And there are many other ways to toy with that too, but it's definitely a, a good technique, a good filmmaking technique. Another thing we saw maybe for the first time, well, not for the first time, but maybe the first time at daylight. I don't recall seeing the wrecks in daylight before. We've seen them at night several times. And either we haven't seen either we haven't seen them in daylight at all, or we hadn't seen these wide shots of them. These like big open spaces where you can really see all the wrecked ships. You can see these like the different hulls and everything. It was really neat. I thought that was a really cool bit of cinematography there. A few of my friends are a little more keen on the nature of CGI, on you know the the visual representation on screen of how things physically look. And I don't know if my I, I have good vision, but I don't know if I'm just looking at different things or care about it less or notice it less. I'm usually much less concerned with like quality, film quality, you know, uh, how things look on screen, CGI. When it's really bad, I notice it. But I, I think I just care about it less because I care more about the characters and emotions coming out than what's visually shown on screen. Although when it is visually shown on screen, well, I love it. It is what yeah. really gets me excited, I suppose. But my point is that I had a few friends watch the show that were kind of turned off by the CGI of the ships, hmm. which I didn't notice at all. But once A, once it was pointed out and I started paying attention to it, I don't notice it at all but i don't know if it's because they stopped doing it because they have a better budget to have real ships mm. or if the cgi got better but one way or the other i think it's outstanding i think yeah. the, the presentation of the ships and the sea and everything else is impressive and i know it's expensive to film on water like that too so yeah it's something i really like seeing just it's i like as you said one of the reasons you got into the show initially was partly my excitement just because i love pirate stuff and so that's something i was looking forward to and yeah the show hasn't disappointed i would agree that it's 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 gotten better over time with that stuff and that's almost certainly a function of budget but like we said at the beginning of the episode a lot of times shows get a new budget and they don't do a very good job with it they just make it look cooler but it they, you know they could have spent that money a lot better <laughs> yeah a lot of times they get flashier more explosions you know yeah but this they don't they're totally willing to have a drawn out dramatic scene um lots of conversations in this show lots of conversations 
final thoughts. So we didn't really have favorite moments. It's kind of the problem of doing three episodes at once. It's hard to pick one favorite moment from yeah. three shows and you're kind of thinking about all three episodes at once. And also, I don't know which one. I don't even know what I would pick. There's so many awesome things that I've geeked out over during this episode. So I, I kind of I feel like I've given the impression what I liked a lot, which is almost, you know so many different things. If I'm pressed, I think I can name a couple that we've already talked about. The, the moment when Billy says fire against mm. Flint. That was Ooh, huge. That, that, that was has huge. stuck with me. I think about it a lot. The interrogation of Beringer mm-hmm. and those pirates that they had captured on the beach and the killing of Teach. You know, incidentally, this is a side topic, but I wonder if some of those pirates that were captured, like DeGruy, who had his ear cut off, he might still be alive. Yeah, they they, sef- they were definitely making a point of having trials and hanging them, and we only saw three hung. And they wanted to be executed in public, so he was doing it slowly on that purpose. Yeah. It was like, so he yeah. still could be. So we didn't see him get hung. Yeah. In fact, that'll probably be one of the first things that they do is free those. Probably, they're gonna have sixty or whatever men added to their forces almost immediately, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. This final uh, season of Black Sails is sure to be epic, and if it's anything like what they've been doing so far, we're not going to be disappointed. And we're going to have to rewatch the whole thing when it's done, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reviews. So that is our show for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Fandomedia. We are very happy to be doing yet another show. You can always send us suggestions on shows to cover in the future. At some point not too long from now, we're going to be doing a monthly wrap-up. We'll be discussing all the shows that we're not covering specifically. In other words, we do some shows episode to episode, some in groups, and some we're going to talk about in a big batch. Like all the shows, we don't have time to cover every show, of course. (laughs) We watch a lot of different shows. There's a lot of great shows out there. Yeah, that's one of the things we'll probably talk about, about how hard it is even just to, what what a first world problem that is, is like, (laughs) so many good shows to choose from. What do I do with my time? (laughs) Okay, so until next time, folks, thanks again for tuning in to Fandom Media. I'm Fan Bonnie. And I'm Long Fan Silver.